Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com. Download a free audiobook of your choice today at audiblepodcasts.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcasts.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. Stan, in the past couple of weeks, we've been hearing a lot about some aspects of the case that you've presented. We've been hearing about a piece of video footage, unfortunately, we haven't seen. But the way to start this is perhaps to discuss how what is happening to you started. Let's give us some background for someone who doesn't know anything about your particular case. Give us some background as to what's going on with you. Well, um, this started actually in 2000, 2000, um, December 27th to be exact. I had met a woman online, fell in love. We had dated for quite a while, but she lived in Nebraska. I lived in Colorado. I wanted to surprise her with a real nice little video to try to entice her to come up to Colorado. She was kind of a little hesitant to come drive all that way. So I decided to go up to what is known as Red Rocks. Red Rocks is an outdoor amphitheater that they use for concerts and stuff like that. You can see the the city, you know, the city from from Red Rocks and you got the mountains in the background. And I thought, you know, that'd be a perfect place to go videotape. Well, um, I decided to drive up the back way to go to Red Rocks, and I was right pretty close to the foothills when I noticed a bunch of cars had pulled over the side of the road. And um, at the time, I didn't believe any of this stuff. I really was pretty aggressive when it came to being a non-believer. If anybody came even towards me saying they saw a ghost or a UFO or whatever, I just would, you know, tell them they were nuts and to go away. But um, I noticed they were looking uh, to the south up above some power lines that were off to my um, left. And I looked up and I saw an object above the power lines. At first I thought it was some kind of weird shaped hot air balloon. But as I got closer I realized it was actually a pretty large UFO. And it pretty much scared the crud out of me. I actually hit the gas because I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could and I noticed the thing started actually facing my van. At that point, I remember, hey, nobody's going to believe this, but I had my video camera, so I actually grabbed my video camera, rolled down the window, and started shooting this thing. And after that, my life just went nuts. So, Stan, you captured this uh, first episode on video? Yes. Has anybody looked at that video to give you an explanation for what's on there? Um, yeah, actually. Um, I think they sent it to NASA. There have been a couple... There have been more than one UFOs. One of the people in Hollywood that was interested in my case sent it off to all these experts, supposedly, and they couldn't explain it. Now, when you say, okay, now, so you had this episode. What happened? Let's kind of follow the timeline here. You had this episode. This UFO you say was following you? Yes. Well, it seemed to pace my van. I don't know if that was really what happened, but, you know, when you're not used to seeing this kind of stuff and then suddenly it's right there in front of you, it kind of freaks you out a little bit. Right, right. I understand that in my own encounters that, you know, this is something that it's hard to explain to people the kind of fear and weirdness that's going on when this is actually going on with you. So what happened? This thing was pacing you, and what was the conclusion of this first encounter? Like I said, I, I had my video camera with me because I was going up to videotape for my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife. So as I was driving, I got out the video camera, and 
when I started shooting this this object with the video camera, it actually reorientated itself. It was it was tilted forward somewhat as it was moving along the power lines. When I got out the video camera, it reorientated itself and literally shot up to, I'm guessing it was probably about maybe 200 feet above the power lines, and it shot up literally to about 2,000 feet. And that's just a rough estimate. I'm not very good at measurements. But when it did this, it actually created a small sonic explosion. Now, I grew up in the military. I grew up in the Air Force, and I'm pretty familiar with the sonic, what a sonic boom is. And I could actually feel the vibration in my shirt. Now, me and a whole bunch of other people were sitting there watching this thing. Eventually, it corkscrewed away, and roughly about 10 minutes after it corkscrewed away, two F-16s flew in the same direction. Yeah, see, every time I do this, the phone goes screwy. Well, you know what? This is interesting. Let me just tell the listeners what's going on. We've had some connection problems here. And so if he seems to disappear momentarily, it's not because anybody's taking control of him. It's just one of those things. So <laughs> let's continue. Okay, so you see this object, which is tracing the power lines. Go yes. ahead. Well, I see the object, you know, it's following the power lines. And um, it, you know, I, I get my video camera out. I'm filming this thing. And right as I film this thing, it actually reorientated itself because it was pointing forward, kind of moving along the power lines, and literally shot from about 500 feet to about 2,000 feet, or 200 feet to about 2,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And that's just a rough estimate. After that, we all watched it kind of corkscrew away, and then we noticed two F-16s fly in the same direction the UFO went. And then that's pretty much it. And then after that, not much happened for a while. And then I started having other experiences. Like what? What started to happen? Well, there was an incident at my work where um, this was actually, it would be September 20th, um, 2001. I had to look at the date here. I was managing a store, a retail store. I was actually an assistant manager of a retail store. And I was about to close the store, and my customers who had just left came running back into the store and they said there's something over your work and you know i kind of blew them off thinking that maybe there was a bird or you know maybe something was on fire in the smoke i didn't know well they seemed pretty pretty aggravated about it so i went outside and i looked and there was this object it was quite a ways up but there was a ufo actually right above my work and it was blinking rapidly it must have been 40 foot diameter i'm guessing um, and when it blinked, it looked like the object, the light was actually crawling around the outside of the object. Now, um, I had already experienced um, that UFO up by Red Rocks, and I was still kind of freaked out about that. Okay, already. this particular UFO, what kind of shape are we talking about? It was here? round. It was perfectly round, okay. except it had a re- weird or a um, strange kind of bulge at the bottom of it, and it was kind of a greenish blue. The object itself looked metallic, but it had red, um, like red light blinking around it, or red, almost like plasma, I would say, blinking around it, for lack of a better word. this is the thing. I'm on your website right now, Stan. I'm looking at a a picture. This is a picture you shot of it then? Um, Yes. Okay. So the red, the weird red. Yeah, it's kind of like a weird, yeah, yeah. That object actually followed me three other times, and the biggest one um, beamed my van in the middle of Lakewood during rush hour. Lakewood is a suburb of Colorado. 
You're saying beamed as in a beam came down from a the object? A beam came down. Hit the, I thought it was a police helicopter. And it narrowed and swept through my van. And there were a lot of people there that saw it. So, I mean, anybody listening to this is probably wondering, if a lot of other people saw it, right, did you stop on the road when this happened? Did these people stop to see what yes. the hell was going on? Yes, they did, actually. I was coming home from, I'll tell you the whole story, I was coming home from work. Right. I had just gotten gas. I was on my way home from getting gas, and I was just about, I was thinking about turning, there's a 7-Eleven right there at this intersection. I was just thinking about getting um, something to drink, but I decided, eh, I better not. Right then, um, off to the left of me, a beam of light hit the ground. Now it was just starting to get dark, and because it's you know a fairly large suburb, there's police helicopters around everywhere. Well, thinking it was a police helicopter, I actually rolled down my window and waved, you know, joking around, I waved at it. And the van kind of went over my car. And I noticed when it did that, as I was going through the intersection, I noticed the guy that was actually tailgating me just moments prior had stopped in the middle of the road and was getting out of his car and was looking up above my van. Um, and as I went through the intersection, all the people that were waiting at the red light were looking up, up above my van also. By this point, now, after my first experience with the UFO, my friend said, man, you need to keep something with you, so if this happens again, ever you can catch it on film. And I, in fact, did that. Um, I didn't get a lot of the, the UFO on film because the battery died, but what happened next was I noticed after I saw these people, you know, in their cars or out of their cars looking up above my car, I got out, or not got out, but I looked up, and there's this huge blinking UFO, the same one that was over my work just a few days prior. Mm -hmm. I actually, at that point, I was a little bit, I was scared at first, but then I got kind of pissed off, and this object started accelerating forward. Well, it's not like I could, you know, really chase it or anything, but I hit the gas, and I wanted to see where this object was going to go. And it actually it looked like it hit a wall and suddenly turned left and went east. And it hovered right above this huge cottonwood tree. And it took up the whole cottonwood tree pretty much. And it was up there a ways. And it floated right over this park um, called Old Stone House Park. And there must have been a good 30 or 40 other people in just in that park alone. A lot of them had video cameras. A lot of them had um, still cameras. And we watched this object kind of stop for a minute and suddenly dart off to the to the right stop for a minute then dart off again i've got it on film and we also watched this object go into a cloud and um, every time it went into a cloud it produces produced really intense i can't even say it's lightning it's more like a flash light with no thunder stan here's the thing so uh, i'm thinking about this as you're describing it so you've got these people around you mm -hmm. they're shooting video they're taking pictures right yeah, they've got video, too. So, if it were me, and I'm just saying, if it were me, I would want corroboration for this stuff. And if I've got people around me shooting video and taking pictures, I'd be asking for their phone numbers. I mean, did you do that at all? Yes, you bet. You bet. And it was actually on the news. Everybody, um, you can go online and look at the reports they have. It was on the news. The interesting thing... Now, this is going to freak you out, Mrs. Um, you can check this out yourself. It takes a lot to freak us out, Stan. Don't worry. That's right. Many people have tried. The date, now, Fox News came and did a piece 
Um, you can actually hear ambulances off in the background when, you know, everybody was videotaping this UFO and everybody's videotaping each other talking about the UFOs. Fox aired this um, a few months later. Now, Fox News here comes on at 9 o'clock and is over at 10 o'clock. Um, right at 9 o'clock, everybody's waiting to watch this news clip. Right at 9 o'clock, all the power goes out. Hmm. Now, um, the researchers involved in the case do some investigating after the fact. Now, the power goes out for, for an hour and then comes back on at 10 o'clock, right when the news is over. And when the researchers um, did their investigations, they found out that the center of the power outage was where the UFO was. Uh, UFO had been my car, and there was quite a few thousand homes that were affected by this outage. And when they tried to figure out what caused it, they didn't get a straight answer from anybody. They also looked into, they checked into trying to figure out, um, get the records for the ambulances or police cars or whatever the sirens were were in the background. And it, all the records that they found said nothing had happened. In any of the fire departments, the emergency, you know, like the ambulances and police departments, all the records said nothing happened that day, which is kind of odd. Maybe it's almost typical. Hey, before we go on. Hey, neighbors. As we said, this episode of the PowerCast is being brought to you by Audible.com, and you can download a free audiobook of your choice. And you can select from over 40,000 audiobooks and lots, lots more featuring bestsellers about the paranormal, about UFOs, novels, you pick it, and when you get the book that you want, just download to your Apple iPod or over 400 other devices. All right? You can download your free audiobook today, today at audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. Hi, this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer to the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net we want to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the podcast send it to news at the that's news at the and don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. We're talking to Stan Romanek, and his site says he is the world's most documented extraterrestrial contact story. And that's what we're discussing on the show. David? So, Stan, um, this thing about, the, and, and we want to hear more of the stories. Sure. But I, I want to try to now understand 
how other people get involved because we've seen this happen more than a few times where essentially uh, you're immersed in some weirdness and all of a sudden people get involved. You, you talked about other you know researchers being involved. Can you, can you give us a little bit of background on how that happened? Well, you know, I, I didn't have anywhere to go with my experiences. There really is no government agencies. I tried that. I tried going to the police department. They just kind of laughed at me and told me to go away. I knew better to go than to go to the military. I grew up in the military, and you hear all kinds of horror stories, yeah. which are, you know, I don't know if they're true or not, but I didn't want to take the chance. Um, I ended up going to a place, just uh, my local MUFON. MUFON stands for Mutual UFO Network. Sure. And they really helped me quite a bit. And they, you know, got me hooked up with some researchers and who got me hooked up with more researchers, who got me hooked up with scientists and so on and so on and so on. And it ended up being, you know, the group that's working with me today. And these people, honestly, have taken really good care of me. And they're concerned about the data. They want to make the data, make sure the data is, you know, good quality data and they want to make sure nothing is screwy with it so stan have they asked you to undergo any kind of regression hypnotherapy i actually have i've done that quite a bit um i ended up doing it my first per the first person i did was with a woman named deborah lindeman and she got me she got a lot of stuff out that i was trying to hide just because I couldn't handle it, my mind was just couldn't handle it. So you naturally try anything stressful like that. Your body, your body's first reaction is to deny it ever happened. Okay. The one thing I wanted to ask is: she someone who has hypnotized people who were involved in UFO cases, abductions, etc.? Has she? Um, yes. I don't think she started out that way, but yes, she has. She What's her background? Do you know? Um, hypnotherapist. Okay. All right. She does professionally. She helps people stop smoking and stuff like that too. Got it. So, what kind of what kind of stuff came up as you went into these regression hypnosis sessions? Well, um, after I'm, I'm stepping back a little bit now. After the UFO that was above my work, um, I actually had an experience, and you know, some of these these researchers and scientists. They call them debunkers or whatever you want to call them. We'll say, well, you know, people don't really have abduction experiences. They're having sleep paralysis. My abduction didn't happen when I was asleep. I was fully awake and I actually remembered everything. It just freaked me out so bad I couldn't talk about it. And then when I was, um, when I was put back and I fell asleep in the bed and, you know, in my own bed, I woke up the next morning thinking or hoping it was a dream until um, my sister um, asked me what all the weird marks were on my wrists and on my back, and I pretty much freaked out at that point. So what was the nature of the uh, of the encounter? What happened that freaked you out so bad? Well, it was, first of all, they weren't human. At first I thought somebody was robbing us because they actually got into the house. And they were, I thought they were wearing masks. I really thought they were wearing masks, and I couldn't understand why my sister would let these things into the house. And I was trying to make them go go away or get out of the house, but for some reason, I just kind of lost control, and they just led me around like I was under some kind of trance or something. That's the only way I could explain it. 
and I ended up being in a different place. Can I tell you if it's a, if it's a UFO or not? No, I can tell you that I ended up in a strangely lit room with um, a strange smells that I've never experienced before. Stuck to a wall, literally stuck to a wall, not glued, but almost like centrifugal force or some kind of weird gravity. And they took samples of skin and you know scooped pieces of skin off me, and it was pretty scary. What were those? You say you um, you you smelled smells you'd never smelled before. Try to describe what they smelled like. Um, you know, it took me a while to figure it out, but for some reason, every time I got near a Russian olive, you know, Russian olive trees have yellow these yellow flowers in the springtime, and every time I got near them, I would just have panic attacks. I couldn't figure out why, and hmm. then start suddenly I started putting two and two together. Well, it doesn't smell exactly the same, so I experimented with it a little bit. But if you take a Russian a Russian olive um, tree flowers when they're blooming and you take a little bit of rubbing alcohol in the background, that's kind of the smell I remember smelling when I was... Hmm. Now, have you ever smelled anything like burning sulfur? Um, I, smell, I smelled... No, not really. All right, so you, you have these creatures, and describe to us what they look like. Well, oddly enough, what I remember, they don't really look like your typical little gray guys. In fact, I don't think I've ever really seen anything gray. <laughs> I remembered that um, there were two males and a female. They were about four foot, maybe four foot three, four foot four. They're pretty short. Very skinny, very long. Their palms of their hands were very long. Um, they had three fingers and a posing thumb that almost looked like a finger. Very long thumb. In fact, their necks, I remember their necks were so skinny, I wonder why how their big heads were supported. Mm-hmm. And there were two males and a female. And I, I, I could tell it was a female because, oddly enough, she had, she had boobs, which I think is strange. I mean, ETs aren't supposed or aliens aren't supposed to have boobs. Why are they not supposed to have those? Well, I mean, that's Hollywood says they aren't supposed to have boobs. So well, we don't believe Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good thing because and they, these had blue eyes. They didn't have black eyes, you know. Black eyes, these had, they had huge, I mean, huge oversized blue eyes. And they had cancer patient, like, scraggly hair. Their hair was pure white, very sparse, um, bald, balding heads. And I, I call them possum people, for lack of a better word. Well, because, because of scraggly hair, would you consider them maybe very old? You know, if they were very old, they weren't wrinkly. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe that's a good way to describe them. I don't know what else to, yeah, like they're really, 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 really old. Okay, what kind of clothing were they wearing again? The males were wearing kind of a baby bluish jumpsuit. Um, and I remember as I was freaking out that the, jet, the the material didn't have any stitching, no seams to it. It was like all, it was all one piece. And I mm-hmm. kind of wondered how they got into them. And the female actually seemed to be the boss of the group which was odd, and she was a little bit taller than the male, and she had more like a robe, kind of robe, a baby blue robe. Hmm. So you're immobile against this wall, and they're scooping, you say they're scooping pieces of your skin off. Well, um, I'm stuck to the wall. I can move my arms, I can move my feet, I can move my head, 
Right. But I can't. I try as hard as I can, and all it does is suck me back. And I'm in um, like a... Uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like a trough, not a trough, but like there's a, um, you know, like a little indentation. So maybe if bodily fluids go down, it goes down a drain or something. I don't know how mm-hmm. to explain it. Mm-hmm. And um, the female comes up and there's a like a square up against the wall, and she puts her hand on the square and it releases me. And I notice I have these copper bracelets around my around my wrist. And around my my ankles and the bracelets. Every time I try to remove them, but every time I do, it's really painful static shock. And there's these there's tiny little wires. I could have snapped the wires if I wanted to. For some reason, I didn't. But there's tiny little long wires that lead into the wall. And you know they kind of release me, and I stand there for whatever reason without fighting. And they you know have this weird box with what looks to be a melon baller. <laughs> for lack of a better word, and they start taking skin grafts. Okay, did you protest that they hold you and by their arms or something to keep you from fighting them off? I, I protested in my mind, but there wasn't really too much I could do. It was, I don't know how else to explain it. It was like they had some kind of control. And it wasn't, it wasn't like um, medicated control, like I was drugged or anything. It was more intense than that. It was... I remember one of the things that freaked me out the most when all this was happening, I was extremely scared, and the more scared I got, it seemed to almost be painful for him, which is bizarre, but that's the way it seemed to me. All right, you're making these involuntary movements. Was there any verbal or mental communication? Did they tell you anything? Did they say anything in any way that you could understand? Yes, that's what I was, that's what I was actually going to get to. You see, um, I read your mind. Yeah, maybe maybe you're one of them. <laughs> well, that's what David um, tells me. Yeah. I was um, standing there just totally freaking out, and all of a sudden a thought popped in my head, and I don't know how else to explain it. A thought popped in my head that pretty much said it's going to be okay. And it scared me even more because I know for a fact I didn't put that thought in my head, and I couldn't figure out where it came from. And that's when I saw this, this female creature, whatever it was, staring at me right in the eyes. And after that, it just, I, you know, I tried not to totally panic, but it was hard. All right, so how did this all end up? Well, it ended up, um, I somehow ended up back in bed, waking up the next morning, praying that this was a bad dream, hoping that this was a bad dream. Um, I went and I wanted to make some pancakes, got up to make some pancakes, and my, my sister was actually in the living room watching TV. And as I passed by her, she goes, what in the hell happened to your back? And that's when I suddenly realized that the dream might not have been a dream. And I actually touched my back, and I couldn't feel any pain. I just felt these holes in my back. Um, they were kind of, you know, wet to the touch because they were open wounds. And uh, the sores around my wrists, I had uh, all the hair was rubbed off on my wrists. I had sores around my wrists and around my ankles. And I could see them, and I could touch them, but they didn't hurt. They just felt kind of wet. And so I ignored getting pancakes. <laughs> That day, to say the least, I was pretty, pretty freaked out. <laughs> we freak out our sponsors. You know, there used to be only two ways neighbors to meet for business, over the phone or in person. 
Well, now there's a better way. Use GoToMeeting to meet online. With GoToMeeting, everyone sees your computer desktop on their computer screen. So you get the best of both worlds. It's like meeting in person, but without wasting time and money traveling. And you know what the airlines are doing these days. It's a complete mess. And remember this, your conference calls will be more effective. The best part is that you can try GoToMeeting free right now for 30 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking to Stan Romanek. He is listed on his website as having the world's most documented extraterrestrial contact story. Now, as we go along with the tales of what happened to you, why is this statement given on your site? Did you write this? Did somebody else write no, that for you? No, no. The researchers put actually put that site up so people go. I want, I want to share what's going on with me. I've got to wait for the scientists to finish what they're doing to share everything. If I had it my way, this would already be out. So I think they put this together to satisfy me so I could share some of this stuff without not totally, you know, giving everything until it's ready. And it's all, honestly, it's all about the data, you know. There's so many people out there that have experiences. It's hard to tell what's real, what's not real. And so, you know, the people involved with this case want to make sure that, you know, if this gets out, we can go through and say, hey, this is real, or no, maybe somebody's yanking your chain, or, you know, this is this and this is that. Now, what's interesting about my case, from what they tell me, most of the stuff that happens to me within the past few years happens when there's a lot of people around, and um, I can't explain why. Well, Stan, so if that's the case, then sh shall we comfortably and safely assume that when you do present all this data that you will have a lot of corroborating testimony? I think that would go a long way towards establishing this for you. I have tons and tons of corroborating testimony. In fact, just recently we had some uh, world-renowned para-investigators para over, spent the week here. And they got to capture things and see things, and we actually had a um, pretty big UFO fly over the house and totally blow away. They got pretty scared, I think, at first, and then excited. But yeah, that's that's the goal here is to, um, and for whatever reason, whoever is doing this or whatever is doing this seems to want to make a statement. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, more power to them because it. It makes it so I don't look as crazy as sometimes even I think. Well, what's the statement then? What um, is that statement? I, you ever notice how, and this is just my opinion, but you ever notice how everything nowadays, all the cartoons you see, all the shows you see, even the Indiana Jones show, and I don't mean to ruin this for people, but all, even the Indiana Jones shows, everything's about aliens. Well, well, no, Stan, now, see, the thing about that is that, and, and I can tell you that in my own experience, uh, before the last couple of years, I didn't give any of this much thought, even though I have a lifetime of strange stuff, a little different than what you're just talking about, but definitely strange stuff. And, and I really, honestly, I didn't let it be at the foreground of my life. And so 
I didn't notice it, like in the Maybe media. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm noticing well, it. Well, see, that's the thing. Like when you immerse yourself in this stuff, and at this point, it sounds to me like you're pretty immersed in this stuff. You yeah, do start I to do notice. Not. I really yeah. try not to, right? Because you got to live your life. And sometimes when stuff happens, some amazing stuff happens, and all these people see it, and we're kind of blase about it. It's because it happens so much to us, you just kind of get used to it. You know, it's like my wife's name is Lisa, and it's Lisa, there's this huge UFO over her house. She goes, I don't care. Tell them to go away. I'm sleeping. You know, it gets to that point. And it's not that we mean to be blase. It's just that there are times we really can't handle it. And when we do handle it, we joke about it just so we can. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are going through this stuff by themselves, and those are the people I feel really sorry for that don't have anybody to turn to, that don't have anywhere to go. So what's your wife's take on this? And also, I guess she had a couple of daughters when you guys got together? Yeah, we have a, I've got a stepson and two stepdaughters, you bet. So yeah, what is their, what's their feedback about? I mean, you know, what's their thoughts about all this? I assume they've seen stuff as well, right? Yes, oh, you bet, you bet. They've seen probably more stuff than one person in five lifetimes. But yes, um, you know, my wife actually is very grounded and she helps me stay grounded. I'm really lucky because without her, I'd probably go running off screaming into the night. <laughs> I'll tell you, you do have a regular day job, though, that occupies your regular life, right? Yes, yes. I, I work on computers. Oh, okay. I have, I'm trying to get a computer business, computer repair business started. All right. So what's... What are your stepchildren's take on this? I mean, what what do they say to you about this? Well, I mean, they know it's real. They've seen stuff for themselves. Um, they kind of, you know, they're teenagers, and at first they denied it and said, "Oh, you're crazy." But then it got to the point where, and especially my stepson, it freaked him out pretty bad. He, even now, he's 14 years old. He has to have the lights on. Um, mm. For the longest time, he'd sleep with multiple pillows all over his bed because he says the, the I remember one time he said burglars came in to steal his Mountain Dew and they were doing strange stuff and it scared him so bad that he from that point on would pretty much hide under his bed hmm. well you know I, I share uh, the taste for the Mountain Dew I actually like the diet Mountain Dew it's <laughs> damn good stuff and uh, oh yeah I don't get much Mountain Dew these days I'm now you're making no, no. me feel I have to go get my Mountain the Dew. The diet stuff rules, dude. The diet stuff is... I know that, my friend. I am going to go out. As soon as this episode is over, I'm going to get myself some that. good old Mountain Dew. Oh, the caffeine is the... That's that's the attractive part. That's All right, it. Stan, let's let's get back to what you're going through here, because um, this stuff is going on back in, in, in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. Oh, up, but uh, he, up to now, yeah. Up to now. But so now... Were you sitting on this for a while? Because, and, and I know that I, I saw the, the Larry King thing uh, last Friday night, and uh, there was a relevant question, which was, why are we hearing about this now? Because, well, here's the thing. It's not, I don't even necessarily blame it on anybody. You know, when you have these scientists involved and you don't have any money to do the research, you have to wait till you find the money. Most of the researchers and scientists involved in this case are, are donating their own time. They're, right. they're donating their money to actually rent uh, high-powered teles uh, uh, microscopes, uh, uh, you know, the electron microscopes and, um, you know, all the other stuff you need for chemical analysis on some of the stuff I've come back with. You know, and it costs money. Honestly, if I had it my way, it already would be out. But 
they're making sure that it's not going to get out until everything's been investigated and everything's been scrutinized and, you know, they know that they aren't going to, because literally they're putting their their jobs on the line, they're putting their reputations on the line. Because this is not a subject that is well taken just yet. It's getting better. Yeah, a little better, but but the problem is that even though it's getting better, it's definitely fringy. I mean, uh, I saw a clip, um, and we're going to get to uh, to Peckman in a minute because I saw a clip uh, of Peckman on uh, some Fox show, and yeah. anybody who listens to this program knows I don't think very highly of, of Fox, the the corporate entity. But uh, basically, the guy on the Fox show was, I mean, just downright nasty. He was just not yeah. not in any way professional. It was not that anybody on that network is professional. For my money, they're just a bunch of, of idiots, quite frankly. And uh, But yeah, Peckman was on there, and he was being interviewed, and the interviewer started saying stuff to him like, you know, what are they each? And what 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 do they like, white chocolate or dark chocolate? I mean, just stuff, stupid, stupid stuff yeah. that, yeah. you know, was just... But now... The flip side of that is that you've got this guy, uh, uh, Jeff Peckman, involved, and he's real questionable, Stan. I'll be honest with you. The guy is a, is, a, is a problem, I think, ultimately, because what you've got here, you've got what you're saying are these incredible experiences. And, you know, if you've got witness corroboration with this, if you have physical trace evidence, I assume part of what you've sent off to the scientists is some kind of physical evidence, right? Oh, exactly. You did. Well, like what? What What are they looking at? Well, I can't really tell you uh, some good stuff. I can tell you, you know, there's there's an implant in there. There's some other stuff in there. So is is Roger Lear involved in this? Now we've had Roger Lear on the show a couple times, and um, uh, you know he wants to be, and you know I'm thinking about getting him involved, but he's not involved. We want to go with heart, you know, with mainstream science. You know, we we. If we go with the UFO, with the people that already believe in UFO, it kind of defeats the purpose. You know, we want people to take this seriously. Despite all the people out there, they're going to tell me, oh, you're full of baloney and, you know, you've sat on this because it's this. And, you know, there really is a reason for it. And to go through mainstream science, first of all, you have to get them interested. And then when you get them interested, you have to find the money to do the research. And then once you do that, then you have to do more research. And if we went with the people who already believed in UFOs, then it would kind of defeat what we're trying to get to here. But then tell me then how Jeff Peckman gets involved in this. Well, um, one of the ways they let me talk about this, and for anybody that has the kind of post-traumatic stress you get with being an, an experiencer or abductee or whatever the heck you want to call it. And you've, uh, you said you've had some experiences. I don't know if they're the same or not. You have to talk about it. I have this urge to want to talk about it, to try to figure out what's going on with myself, to maybe help other people, to get people to understand that we really aren't the only ones in the universe and to think that we are just ludicrous. And it's a pretty, pretty tough task. But um, I, they let me talk at these little conferences, or I have these little presentations that I do where I get to show stuff. Nobody can take videos with them or anything, but they at least get to see what's going on with me. Um, let me just ask you a quick question before we go on, because you referred to these creatures as extraterrestrial. Did they ever give you any indication of where they come from? 
Yes, as a matter of fact, they did. And um, if you go on the website, you can see one of the really bizarre things that have happened to me. Um, now, I have a fourth grade math uh, I can't even say that word, math level. I'm, I'm severely dyslexic. During my first regression, I remember I had these weird symbols in my head. I started drawing them out. And I thought at first, I thought I was going crazy and it was gibberish. Well, it ended up being these really bizarre equations. Some of them were equations that had already been written. Some of them weren't. Um, some of them were equations that were already written with stuff added to it. Um, and they were actual equations. And one of the things that happened, I remember when I was up during my first regression, every time I had a worry or a thought, this, these dots or like pictogram would suddenly pop in my head. Well, I carried that with me to all the way to the regression. And when I had my regression, I started writing them out. And yeah, they kind of gave me a good, give us a good idea where they're from. You can actually go to the website and check it out for yourself and I'm at the point now where it's like well you can believe me or you don't have to I'm not here to try to prove that anything's real or not prove that anything's real um, I'm just here to tell the story pretty much to try to enlighten the human race well see this is where I think it, things get muddy uh, Stan because one of the things that seems to be not I won't say obvious but one of the things that seems pretty uh, common with a lot of these experiences is that there is a level of deception that appears to be going on. And so let's say for a moment that you're getting things, ideas, images in your mind. Mm-hmm. One has to question, and, and I think this is something that, uh, that I've come to think about differently since I've been involved with the Paracast. What, one has to sort of step back and say, What's motivation? What's the motivation here? So you've got these creatures that you say are engaged in a communication with you, and they're giving you stuff, whether they're giving it to you because you're asking for it or giving it to you just to give it to you. We have to wonder about what their motivation is. I mean, why, not just even why you, right, but why are you giving all this stuff? So what's your answer to that? You know, a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, these creatures are trying to help us. These creatures are only for our good. I don't know that for sure, to be honest with you. I can't tell you that. First of all, I'm being taken against my will. That's not good. Right. Secondly, it almost seems like they're indifferent. It doesn't seem like they really care what I want or what I don't want. I also, at the same token, playing devil's advocate here, I also understand that, you know, there's good and bad on this planet. I'm sure there's good and bad out there, too. Sure. I really know what I've experienced um, is real. I know it for a fact. I'm, I'm trying to find somebody to give me a lie detector if they would. can't seem to find that anywhere. It costs you damn much money. But what they're doing here, I have no idea. I believe that they're are some of them out there, and I know they've been around for thousands of years. There's so much evidence, it's overwhelming. If they wanted to hurt us, they're so much more advanced than us, they could have done that a long time ago. Well, then we raise the question, why are they abducting you? Why are they abducting anybody? I mean, I'm not the only one they're abducting. I'm just dumb enough to tell everybody about it. Mm-hmm. It's a good question, right? I mean, that's ultimately, that's what we, that's how we get down to the, to the real question. But now... So here's the thing, Stan. You seem like a nice enough guy, and and we're very happy you agreed to come on the show. I know that 
there were some things leading up to getting you on the show that made me, it made Gene and I both kind of wonder whether or not we'd really get you on here. And, you know, we've had a lot of people on this show who have stories about uh, these encounters and these experiences. And very often, you know, when I say motive, right, I, I'm not just talking about motive of, you know, what these creatures, what's their motive? I say, hey, Stan Romanek, what's your motive here? What's going on? But before we even, let you know, I don't even want to ask you that yet. I want to get back to this, this Peckman fellow who has gone on basically representing you. And, and, and here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that your guy, it's like a nice man, um, if you can provide the things that you're describing, witness corroborating testimony, physical evidence, real scientists backing you up on this, then uh, I'll be the first guy to say, my God, something's going on with you. Sure. But right now, anybody looking in on this, and for example, anybody watching Larry King last Friday heard Peckman bring up 57 species of aliens. And I now, can tell you where he got that from. Oh, I can tell you where he got it from, too. He got it from Clifford Stone. Yeah. I know where that came from. And See, Peckman <laughs> actually got involved with that initiative after he saw my one of my talks. It just totally blew him away. I'll tell you what, I want to ask about this guy in a moment. Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. talking to Stan Romanek on the PowerCast, and okay, so we have this gentleman who's going out with all this alleged information. Who is he? Who and what is he? <laughs> um, Peckman is, you know, he's, he's into politics, basically. Um, he's done other stuff. I, I don't really know him that well. I know him from one of the researchers um, who's a friend of, friend of mine. And the reason they started this is, well, you know, they're kind of sick of the way things are going right now with the United States and disclosure. And there really is a method to the madness here. Now, Peckman, Jeff Peckman is a really decent guy. He really means what he says. He's not very versed. He's not really ever 
been involved in the UFO thing. This is all new for him, so he's kind of winging it. And he's getting his information from all these people, some of them credible, some of them maybe not so credible. But he's trying the best he can. Now, he started this because he came to one of the talks that I had, and it just totally blew him away. He says, man, somebody has to do something about this. So they decided to start from the ground up. A lot of people go to the government and say, hey, you have to do disclosure, and, you know, like the disclosure project started from the top down. Well, if you start from the top down, you have all this big money that's going to just stop you dead in your tracks. But if you start from the bottom up, the people decide. The people get to say, we want this, and we want this out. What's neat about this bill, and I support it 100%, is it doesn't take any money from your taxes. It's all by donation. Nobody gets, the government doesn't have anything to do with, you don't have to be forced to give them money. It doesn't cost you anything unless you want to donate. And it's just for public awareness. It gives the, the people, and I don't know if you know anything about Colorado, but Colorado's pretty hot for UFO activities, and there's a lot of people that don't have anywhere to go. And this will give them an opportunity to go somewhere. In essence, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Let's say that that's all good and fine, and that this guy Peckman means well. But in the age of the Internet, people who are generally interested and motivated, they go and do a little research, and what do they find? They find that Peckman is a guy, I'm not going to talk about his private life, because it's his private life. There have been people who have attacked aspects of his private life. We're not going to do that on the show. We don't We don't play that game. Yeah, well, I'll, let me stop you right there, because I want yeah. to put, this, put the record straight. Okay. Peckman lives with his parents because his parents are very ill. He's actually taking, he's the only one that his parents have. He's taking care of his parents. Bless him. Them. Bless he's him for that. That's why I said... There are people, and in fact, i got to tell you something, Stan. When I first heard about him living with his parents, and I saw the disparaging remarks, what I thought was, maybe his parents are old and ill. If he's older, his parents perhaps are not well, and this guy's doing a good thing. That was my first response, i got to tell you. Exactly what it is, yeah. Um, and that's the first thing I thought. But that's why I said, I'm not gonna, I didn't want to really even like focus on that. A lot of people are focusing on that in a disparaging way, and I don't think that's correct at all, and I think that sucks, quite frankly. But... On the flip side of that, what you do find out is that Peckman had been involved for years in selling a device, the Metatron Harmonizer, where on his website he claims that he has figured out the frequencies of things like the Divine Spirit, and that if you buy his $149 product, that it's, that's like a credit card with a chip on it, that you, you can now partake of the Divine Spirit because he figured out the frequency for it. Now, now Stan, i got to tell you, I have no idea what you're talking about. But uh, I believe you. This is I can I can I'm happy to send you the links to this, and you ask him about this because sure. the problem is that in our society it's guilt by association, and believe me, I have to deal with that every day doing a show with Gene. It's guilt by association. That's right. I mean, he found out who I was, and uh, it's just murder. It's it's it terrible. just has impacted but, his reputation but, incredibly but no, but, badly. But no, seriously, Stan. Sure. The thing is that. People do some some due diligence on Peckman, and what they hear is, you know, what they find is he's been involved with stuff that's really questionable. I mean, just highly, highly questionable. And then his parroting of the 57 species thing from Clifford Stone. Clifford Stone, very nice man. I've spoken to him uh, on the phone more than a couple times. A very nice guy. I don't believe a word he's saying. <laughs> and and I don't. I just don't. You know, I have a as, as a native New Yorker, I feel I have a fairly well honed BS detector. And Clifford Stone, again, sweet man, nice man, would love to hang out and have a meal with him. 
do I believe he knows that there are 57 uh, species of, of quote-unquote aliens that the government has been able to somehow document? No, I don't buy that for a moment. In fact, I know that's not true. It's still debatable if there's intelligent life on this planet. So yeah, I see. Well, I don't think there's any debate. It, there is intelligent life. They're not human. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah, for, uh, you know, I, I think the dogs have it over us on that one. But but the problem is they're loyal. Well, no, but but seriously, Stan. See, so the, the problem here is that we have a situation where you could have a very compelling story, and, and as I said, you come up with the stuff. You say that these researchers are going to somehow let you come out with. And, and the fact that it's in their hands makes me concerned. I had a discussion today with someone who's doing your documentary. His attitude, I have to be honest with you, made me concerned. And in fact, when I identified to him who I was and what my technical background was, he got very excited and said, well, gee, we'd love to have you look at Stan's stuff. And I said, I'd be happy to do it. And I'm not going to charge you any money for it. And he said, yeah, but, uh, you know, you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Now, well, there's a reason for that. Well, if you well, know the I, things that we've had to go through, and I can see, I, I can understand your point, but I also know his point. I mean, I've been beat up because of this. Um, we've been threatened. We've been followed. I mean, this is the real deal. And so, unfortunately, the people that are involved in this case are ultra-sensitive and ultra-paranoid. They want to make sure this doesn't get out of hand. They want to. They don't want to make sure that, you know, some guy flies off the handle like they did, uh, you know, the debunker on the Larry King live show did. You know, they want to make sure that it's done and done right. They don't want to disrupt the flow of things, especially when, and let's face it, scientists are somewhat a little touchy. They don't like the way things are going, and they think that their, um, you know, their reputations are going to be at stake. They get really touchy. So we have to be careful, and that's... Well, no, I, I understand those issues. But but honestly, I was going to say before was that Gene and I have been in the high-tech industry for a long time. I've been doing uh, behind-the-scenes work for a number of companies for over 20 years now. I have a stack of non-disclosures I've signed regarding technical issues that, uh, you know, if I, if I had a buck for every NDA I've ever signed, I would have a very nice house in Northern California right now. I've signed a lot of NDAs over the years. I take non-disclosure agreements very, very seriously, okay? I also know that non-disclosure agreements have a certain function, and that function is very often one that, in this context, the guy doing your documentary said, well, you know, you'll have to sign a non-disclosure, and I said to him, I don't see why I would sign a non-disclosure with you. And instead of trying to explain anything to me, Stan, he said, well, then I'm not sending you a damn thing. Now, I, you know, that's not got anything to do with me. It does in that it's it's ultimately it's it's about you. Um, yeah. It's about your case. But here's the problem. I'm stuck. Yeah. I'm the guy that's having the experiences, screaming out, somebody help, somebody help, somebody help. But I also realize that the best way, and, you know, after many years, there is nowhere to go. I mean, you know yourself that if you have an experience, you can't go to the military. You can't go to the police department. You can't have... No, no, no. No, no, not at so all. what do you do? You want to present the facts as best you can, as sure. thorough as you can, and thorough being the, the word there. You find these top people. You work with these top people. Some of them are a little temperamental, and they come and go and come and go, and you still do what you can. And so it kind of gets out of out of your hands which way it goes, and you're just sitting back going, 
well, I'm kind of caught, caught in the middle, and I'm still having all these experiences, and still nobody's helping me, and what do you do? And, you know, the people that are involved with my case right now, actually, they're doing a really good job, and they're taking pretty good care of us, and they're making sure that the media and um, people that are here to like wolves, you know, to, to meet, um, they're protecting me from that, and that's no different than what's going on now. I'm not saying that you guys are wolves, but, you know, it's just in general, they want to make sure that this gets out right. That's why we didn't really stay with the UFO types, because nobody believed it anyhow. They already believe in UFOs. Well, I, while I understand what you're saying, and to some degree I can empathize with it, because as someone who's had a variety of experiences, I never spoke to anybody about them, essentially. And, and then, Weren't you scared with your experiences? Didn't you want somewhere to go? And why didn't you go talk to somebody? Because you were alone? No, basically because I had a life going on and a career going on. And in the end, I felt that the, the truth of the matter was that these experiences were highly subjective. And that perhaps, really, what was going on was that these experiences were designed to teach me something. Though, probably that's probably more true than you can than oh, you think. I, well no and, and and a number of my experiences were alone but a number of my experiences were with other people and the ones that were with other people those were the ones I personally gave the most weight to because as someone who's a rational skeptical thinker and, and I think the term skepticism has gotten a really bad rap I think skeptical thought is really critical to understanding anything or even functioning in life at all in, in the end, if, if it's something that only happened to me, I didn't necessarily trust my own mind. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Right? And, yeah. and then I, you, know, you know how this feels, but when it happens to people around you and you, then you're like, well, okay, this has not happened in my own mind because, hell, if three or four of us are seeing this, then it's a shared experience. It's generating outside of, outside of ourselves. You know what brought it home for me, honestly, and I'll tell you the honest to God's truth, what brought it home for me that this was real when we started getting harassed, when we started finding wiretaps in our house, when we started getting followed, when we started, you know, when I got beat up. Oh, this cool. wasn't whoa, whoa, whoa. Really We're starting a whole thing here. Now, let's let's go back on this a little bit. The wiretap first. We're going to do our break in a second, but the wiretap first. What led you to believe this was a wiretap of some sort? Because we found it, and that's what they told me it was. Oh, boy. It sounds kind of amateurish, though, because the real good wiretaps are not so yeah. easy to detect. That's what we thought, too, but we also thought that maybe they were trying to throw us off. Because I know they have these real high-tech, like, lasers they can put on your window, and so we were confused by it just like you are. But, you know, the fact of the matter is it was there. Well, now, when you say it was there, see, I'm, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here for a moment. Let's say if you had a government wiretapping you, you realize there's nothing... I'm not it's the government. Okay. Who do you think it is? I have no idea. I can't tell you if it's the government because I don't know. Hmm. You think they'd be more professional than that? It could be anybody. It could be some guy that's just got some obsession and wants to freak us out. But at the same point, as long as it's, you know, many years that's this bit that this has been going on, I mean, there's always been something. Who or whatever they are seems to have a lot of money to put into this endeavor for whatever reason. And so, you know, really, I, I have no idea who it is. I can tell you it's real. I mean, I've got tons of, you know, documentation on it. So what's what's the reason? Well, how were you beat up then? Tell us how that happened. I was actually riding my bike to work. I lived in Colorado Springs, Colorado. There's a bunch of military bases. 
um, I was I lived pretty close to work. I was riding my bike to work. I was really I used to be really into cycling. Um, a black and marked SUV with four people in it, very clean cut, pressed pants. People rolled down the window and said something to me as I was riding by. I you know ignored them. I was on the sidewalk. They were stuck in traffic. I just kept going to work. Well. As I was riding to work, I usually went the back way around um, the place that I worked and locked up my bike in the back. This black SUV somehow knew exactly where I parked my bike because they came the back way, which a lot of people don't know about, and cut me off. I'll tell you what, um, that's a cliffhanger. Let's do a one-minute commercial. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. On the Paracast, we're talking to Stan Romanek, and he's talking about an instance where we have this black van, right? Yep. That apparently found where you park your bicycle, and then they did what? Well, I was actually, I hadn't parked my bike yet. I was riding to go park my bike. Um, this black SUV cut me off. The passenger, there were four people. Um, the passenger, the front passenger um, guy got out and came over and then immediately pushed me and said, you need to keep your mouth shut. And I looked at him and I said, I didn't say anything to you. What the hell are you talking about? You know, some cuss words were exchanged. And he started trying to beat the crap out of me. Well, in the car, in the black SUV, I can hear them talking about, ooh, alien boy, and they were saying all these remarks about the ET stuff. Now, I hadn't really disclosed a lot of what had happened to me. Somehow they already knew. And they said, well, you need to keep your mouth shut. It's nobody's business what you're going through. And eventually started gaining the upper hand. I, at least I thought I was gaining the upper hand on uh, the guy who was he was a little bit smaller. And I had um, a huge cable that I locked my bike up with because I had pretty expensive, I rode pretty expensive bicycles. And I had this huge motorcycle cable. Well, this other guy got out of the back um, passenger side and started to do these like little funky country moves. And I just nailed him with the, cane, with the chain 
and just laid him out, completely laid him out. And I felt this weird tickle on my back, and I hit the dirt. And um, as this was happening, people were driving by. The police had already been called. And by the time it was all over with, I ended up with a broken wrist and a broken nose. And some people that had seen this happen tried to chase them down, but they weren't fast enough. And there was police reports. I mean, I'm pretty good friends with one of the sheriffs in Colorado Springs, so you can just shoot yourself. Okay. All right. So did anyone ever figure out who did this? Was it just some crazy no, kids who had nothing to do with it? First of all, the black SUV was unmarked because there were a lot of people that were chasing this thing and couldn't catch up with it. Um, it was unmarked, um, had black windows. Um, these guys looked like, you know, maybe military. I mean, it could be they were, you know, there's a lot of military bases around there. But why would they be saying stuff about the alien, you know, my alien experiences when I had really not told too many people about it? Okay, who point. did you tell? Family, friends? Was it yeah, newspapers? Yeah, just family what? and friends. No, just family and friends. The researchers know about it, but that's different. These guys looked professional. They looked like they were there to try to scare Stan, and how many how many people are researching the cases? When you say you have researchers, you have scientists. It fluctuates. You know, some people come, some people go. I honestly don't know at this point. Hmm. What do you expect to have happened when they come back to you with findings? What happens from there? Well, I know some of the findings, some of the findings that they have, um, you know, there's some proteins that they can't identify. There's, you know, some pretty neat evidence with, you know, the electron microscope. There's, you know, stuff like that. Hopefully, and I can't tell you this because I don't really know for sure, hopefully they'll come back with all kinds of really cool stuff that, I can pre that we can present and say, here's the findings. Take it or leave it. What do you personally hope to have happen from this? Um, enlightenment that, and I know it's I'm probably grasping, I'd really like to enlighten as many people as I can that we're not alone. Because there's still, believe it or not, even though we there's over 100, planet, 100, 100 million planetary systems in our galaxy, and they now realize that there's probably 200 million galaxies, even though... You know, that evidence is out there. And even though even the Vatican just came out and said ETs are real, there's a lot of people that don't believe it. Well, actually, yeah, no, what the Vatican actually said was that it was okay. It wasn't in against uh, Catholic faith to believe in extraterrestrial Well, lives. that's um, basically saying that, hey. <laughs> well, you know, words have meaning. and They didn't come out and say and, and, and listen, at this point, I don't think there's a reasonable person on this planet, honestly, that is going to make a really strong argument for humans being the only sentient life in the universe or even in the galaxy. I think at this point, uh, people kind of get it. Uh, they get that part of it. I think what people have a problem with, and, and I'm not saying I agree with them, but I think that what most people have a problem with is that life would come here to the earth and have personal interactions with human beings. But it's now, been going at, on for thousands of years. Oh, I, I, I understand, and I'm not saying I necessarily debate that. I know that, you know, when it comes right down to it, yeah, something something is going on here, Stan. The and question is what? Yeah, a lot of people say, well, why? What makes you special? Honestly, I don't know. I wish they'd bring me alone. Well, did they ever communicate to you no. anything? Okay. How many no, actual like abductions different. or encounters with these beings do you remember? At least seven. Okay. And um, a couple of the abductions, they didn't take only me. They took some of the, some of our friends too, and they have pretty good recollection of what happened. Okay, now during these sessions, 
I gather the one that you told us about during the first part of the show, it sounded to me like the standard experimental kind of encounter. Since then, what were the other encounters like? They were pretty much the same. They all seemed to be typical. Typical. In other words, they were examining you again. Examining and, um, yeah, pretty much. Did you get the sense that they wanted you to be scared? A couple times. You know, this is a weird thing. It almost seems like there were a couple of them that I don't think I was... I think they were purposely almost like I wasn't really taken by maybe the ETs that maybe somebody tried to take me to scare me. Hmm. I, I can't explain it other well, than that. There's also other stuff. I mean, looking at your website, there's some bizarre photos, even you know, for as recently as the last couple of months, yes. of things inside of your house that have nothing to do with this topic. Well, see, that's the thing. A lot of experiences go through something called high strangeness, and they don't know why. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you've probably experienced it yourself, and this is one of oh, the yeah. weird things. This, this thing was taken with... This thing that you're looking at was taken with two different cameras, the paranormal researcher's camera and my camera. Um, it seems to, we've got some new photos where it's actually holding the TV remote, whatever it is. This dark and, mass? Yeah, this dark mass. I actually, what I saw, when I first saw this thing, um, one of our cats was sitting towards um, the bathroom. He was sitting on the step up um, to the top of the steps and he's towards the bathroom. And I saw this weird little shimmer like feet coming out the road during a hot summer day. And I kept seeing this thing. I said, well, I better get my camera because that is the weirdest. I can't tell if I'm seeing that or not. And I took the picture and that's what I got. I took it again and um, the, the thing had moved into the bathroom. Well, that's not the last time we had seen this this thing. I had actually, um, I was home alone and I heard humming out in the family room and I went out to check and I seen my remote. It looked like it was just floating in the air. And I saw that shimmer again and I took a picture of it and there was this black thing holding the remote. Now, um, we had these photos sent to very competent. Can you just talk and move the phone a little bit? Maybe you're sounding a little bit muffled. Go ahead. Okay. Is that better? That's better. Um, so, and then the next photos we took were done with the, you know, these researchers' camera, and the cats are playing with this thing, <laughs> and it actually casts a shadow on the wall. Really? What kind, do you know what kind of camera you shot these with? Um, one is a Sony. The other one's a Canon, a prof more a professional camera. Like with a with a real lens on the front of it? Yeah, with the lens that you pull out and put in and stuff. Okay. And right. there's going to be, and the researchers are going to, they're doing a, a letter and all that other stuff. They were actually here just recently. We had a, a huge UFO flyover that they were here to witness and freaked them out. They're going to give you all that. They flew in. Um, I've only known these people for a little bit of time. One guy's from Denver. Another guy flew in from Florida, and they have this uh, world-renowned investigation thing that they do. So, and they're very, very confident. They have all types of equipment and seem to know really what they're doing. So, so now the the researchers have been looking at this for for how long now, Stan? For quite a while. So much happens that it's kind of hard to keep up with it. So, I mean, there's always something new that comes along that they have to look at. It's like, good God, when's it ever going to stop? Okay, so basically, you're getting ongoing experiences. You've had a number of these abductions, other yeah. UFO sightings too. Oh yeah, I mean, and you can look 
I think there's something on the internet. I'm not sure. Um, I did a conference in Denver just a few months ago, and my 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 little presentations usually take about four hours. And depending on how much it is to rent the place we're doing it, I only ask for donations. Um, to help pay for the conference that that we're renting, sometimes I have to if we have to hire security, sometimes I have to charge five bucks. Sometimes I just ask for donations. It's a four-hour presentation, and during halftime, there were probably about three, four hundred people. There. I think it was like three fifty, three hundred fifty people, and at least up to a hundred or so people were out during the intermission outside smoking a cigarette. When um, there's some UFOs that were just right above where they were, where I was doing the conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a report by one of the people who uh, wrote something up and threw it up on the web. Yeah, um, there were tons of people. I didn't actually get to see it. I was too busy trying to figure out my PowerPoint presentation. But <laughs> but I appreciate you guys letting me come talk. I, I got to head to the airport. All righty. Well, listen, when you have time, come back and speak with us some more. Maybe we can get to some understanding here. And, and I know that we talked before the we started taping. You know, there's there's someone else we want to pull into the conversation, and hopefully yeah. you can help us bring that person yeah. in because I think that yeah. would be very useful to us and to you. We will talk about that later on when things calm down. <laughs> All right, Stan. Have a good trip, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the Paracast. We are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for $19.95, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the Paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues for $19.99 just for you. How do we take advantage of this offer? There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is, if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com. Hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page. Just put in under item, Paracast Offer, 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five, or you could send your check or money order to UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California. That's Ray spelled R-E-Y, California, 90295. Put down your name and your address, and on your name and address label, put down Paracast offer. You can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic, and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995. Or you can call me at 1-888-UFO. 6242, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five, and that's how you do it. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. 
This is the Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen next. So, David, my friend, what is there about the things that we do that after we interview somebody, they want to get on a plane and fly away as fast, as quickly as possible to get away from us? Well, not everybody wants to do that. A few. But (laughs) apparently Stan did, except I guess Stan has a cell phone because within moments of wrapping that interview up, I tried to call Nancy Talbot back. Now, this is kind of interesting in that while we were recording the interview, I had a um, callback from Nancy Talbot of the research firm that I mean, we've had her on the show before. And um, the researchers she's involved with, apparently at one point, we'll get into this whole issue as we discuss this situation, Gene, but make a long story short, she called while we were taping that episode. Um, she basically was returning my call, and I called her back, and she said, oh, I'm on the phone right now with Stan Romanek. So this is within a couple of minutes of us wrapping up. Apparently, he called her on the phone and was talking to her. So presumably, Stan has a cell phone because I know that he said he had to catch a plane at 9. And I doubt he would get on the phone with her on a landline after we were wrapped up with him because it was getting pretty close to 9 o'clock. I told her fine. And within about, I told her, just call me back. And I guess within about 15 minutes, she called me back. And we had a really interesting conversation. Now, there have been a bunch of really interesting conversations behind the scenes regarding this whole Stan Romanek situation. And really, that's how we ended up getting him on the show, was because he had heard from the video analyst who was on the Larry King show and talking about him looking at the footage and determining that uh, it was not a result of post-production. I had a long talk with him the day before we spoke to Stan, about an hour and a half. And it was kind of interesting, Gene, because I sent him an email to this guy's name is Jerry Hoffman. And as I said, he appeared on that Larry King show as uh, the video analyst speaking on his initial findings because he really couldn't say much about anything. Because the, the, the disturbing thing about this whole case is that anybody who's, a, who's in a position to know anything is apparently having their hands tied to secrecy agreements and non-disclosures. Let me explain the non-disclosure, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Non-disclosure agreement means that once you sign that, you can't speak in public about what you're working on. Now, different or even have private. different limitations. Yeah. And this is common, for example, with people who develop software. You know, if they if they want external people to try out the software, they have them sign these agreements. Apple Computer, of course, is one of the examples sure. where Infamous. they they sign right. people. Okay, so in order to talk about this or in order to get involved in this particular matter, the people who investigate this sign these non-disclosure agreements, which really wraps them up in a tight knot because they're restricted from saying anything. Well, it's it's curious, Gene, because in the high-tech world, you're usually asked not to sign a non-disclosure because, let's say, I mean, give you a good example. I sign non-disclosures of companies all the time as a software reviewer and also as a consultant to certain companies doing research work and doing uh, development work on software because of my experience in the software industry. Then as a software reviewer, very often you're asked to sign non-disclosures to get early access to stuff. So for example, with Adobe, I'm typically uh, someone who regularly reviews their software. 
And as a result, I have to sign with each new software release a non-disclosure with Adobe stating that I won't release details about the software into the public before a certain date, that I won't talk about <laughs> my my findings or thoughts about the software with other people who may be developing competing products. It's pretty standard stuff in high tech to keep things close to the chest. Mostly Fine. it's trade secrets. You really yeah. don't want your competition to know what you're doing, and that's just very standard. I mean, we do these sure. things routinely. But when <laughs> it comes to investigating a case, UFO contact, UFO photographs, etc., I don't hear this being done very much or at all. Well, not only is it not done, to my knowledge, very regularly, but, I mean, this, this rabbit hole goes even deeper. And there are some people who are listening to the Paracast that might say, why do we need to know all this? Why are you going to spend 40-some-odd minutes telling us about this? Well, because in the case of the Stan Romanek situation, you've got Stan who's reporting a bunch of things, and we don't know yet about the veracity of his claims because we haven't looked at any of the evidence. We, we had a nice talk with Stan. He seems like a nice enough guy. Certainly there are lots of nice people who are involved in this field. Some of them have compelling things to say. Some of them have questionable things that they say. In the case of Sin, I, I thought he was actually a pretty straight, decent guy, though. There were some, I had some problems with some of the things he was saying. And, you know, as, as it came out in the, in the interview, Gene, that Stan showed up on the Larry King show with this guy, Jerry Peckman, sitting next to him. And that Stan did not know that Peckman is the guy behind the Metatron Harmonizer. I mean, uh, uh, the website for this thing, and in fact, I'm going to bring it up while we're talking here, but the website for this thing makes it pretty clear that this Peckman guy is a loon. He is a serious loon. He's not shooting on all cylinders. And some might say, well, that's not a nice thing to say. Yeah, well, meanwhile, it's the truth. The guy is not completely together. And I have reasons for saying that. And one of the reasons is because of this Metatron Harmonizer thing. Now, look, there are lots of weird things in the New Age space, weird products. One of the things I didn't tell you was that at the X conference, I have this little video clip that I shot of Stephen Bassett massaging his knees with some weird light vibration device that someone had for sale in the little product room that they had set up where people were selling DVDs and videos and books. Um, yeah, I have this footage of Bassett rubbing his knee with some bizarre New Age device. And what this has to do with disclosure, I don't know. It's just It just seems silly, right? It's just kind of ridiculous. Well, if we look into uh, this guy, Peckman, what we find is that he has this company. It's Metatron Technology, the Metatron Harmonizer products, where, you know, the <laughs> let me just read this for a minute. The Metatron Personal Harmonizer will allow you to be more comfortable in your daily life, allow you to be more comfortable in challenging situations, assist you in being on the cutting edge of bringing global peace, foster joy. How like are you on the being. cutting edge no, of wait, bringing... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. No, 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 okay, no. Let me finish okay, here. No, you don't get to ask yet, right? Because then, here, promote the unfolding of your divine purpose. It's like, really? All in a little in a little $149 product? In fact, it's like a, it's a little smart card. You know what? When I hear about Harmonizer, I think of a musical synthesizer. You know, like we had the Mellotron, which was a sampling device. We think of something that's used to... Well, no, no, no. Let's get specific. No, there is actually a device called the Eventide Harmonizer. It's like the definitive 
effects processing box, right, and, and I own one of these things. It's 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 a, a fairly expensive device, and it uh, it does amazing things with audio. Yeah, but no, this guy has got his Metatron personal harmonizer. I mean, you, you know, you you, you huh. here. I got to read this. The Metatron personal harmonizer TM creates a ten foot bubble of coherent life supporting divine oh, light. God. Around the person carrying this card, you can't make this stuff. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Listen to me! Listen, check it out. Any non-life supporting energy that enters this bubble is instantly transformed into coherent life supporting energy, which, by the way, totally transforms chaotic EMFs into coherent energy. And this is my favorite part, right? Here, check this out. I feel this is incoherent already. Let's just. No, no, no wait a minute! No, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna bring home the the punchline here, so to speak. The Metatron Personal Harmonizer has been programmed to carry full-spectrum vibrations of peace, fulfillment, divine love, divine grace, and divine truth. Now, Gene, don't get me wrong. I would love to be able to pull out of my pocket a $149 product that would, you know, bring me into the realm of the divine love and divine truth, but that some lunatic has program these frequencies into a $149 smart card is just beyond ridiculous. This is patently stupid. And so here you've got this guy, Peckman, who is oh, glomming on to Stan because Stan seems like a nice guy who's surrounded by questionable characters. And this guy, Peckman, who was sitting next to Stan on the Larry King show, this guy is a joke. And this Metatron personal harmonizer is the proof that this guy is a joke, that Romanek did not know that this guy who he's aligning himself with is behind this nonsense. It's really sad, and here's what's even worse, Gene. If Romanek really has something going on in his life, and he can prove this with real evidence, with real hard scientifically verified evidence, that would be a phenomenal thing. And as anybody who listens to this show knows... We would like nothing more than to see definitive evidence like this come out. But that Stan has associated himself with this guy, Peckman, means that his evidence, whatever it is, is now going to be completely tainted. Really, truly, it, 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 this is going to work against him in the worst of ways. So he didn't know that, which I found fascinating. But, but the story gets better, Gene, because all fingers kept pointing back to this character by the name of Clay Roberts. Uh, this name kept coming up when I spoke to... Jerry Hoffman, at length, nice guy, sweet man. I really liked the guy. Okay, we had a, almost a two-hour phone call earlier this week. That's all good and fine. That they're using him as their video analyst, I find highly questionable for one simple reason. Like Jerry Hoffman said to me, he said, I'm a Final Cut guy. That's what I do. I'm a film editor. I'm a video editor. Great. He's apparently worked on a number of productions. He lived in the, the L.A., Hollywood area for a number of years. Worked on a bunch of stuff, and he didn't get specific with me about what he had worked on, and that's okay. I, it doesn't really matter. He's very well versed in Final Cut Pro. That's his tool uh, that he's really involved with, no problem. How this qualifies him to look at a video clip and determine its legitimacy, I don't know. Well, that's a good point to make, that it's somebody who can edit video. 
and do production, post-production, doesn't mean that they know what's real and what's fake. It means that they may be experts in their particular realm of work. That's about it. If you're going to look at something that is potentially a piece of special effects work, then you better have some special effects experience. That's all. And I want to be fair to, to Jerry because what he said on the Larry King show was that he didn't feel this was manipulated digitally in a, any kind of a post process. And in that sense, I probably would agree with him in that. And who knows? We haven't seen the footage. And this is another thing that just kills me about this. There have been a bunch of fake video clips that were thrown up on YouTube that people like all of a sudden thought were real. Then there was the one still that was shown on the Larry King show. And then a video showed up on, on YouTube shortly thereafter purporting to be the actual footage of the alien peering in the window. Now, let's leave aside any of the issues of an alien looking through the window, which, quite frankly, I think is just ridiculous. And, look, you know, is it possible? Well, anything's possible. Why would an alien want to peer in the window? Uh, I don't know. Don't you think they just come into the room at that point? I mean, say, what's the hi there, thing? take us no. to your leader. Well, just come into the... Look, we've heard other stories about these things essentially being able to sort of work around the limitations imposed upon them by the physical world, which, of course, adds to the whole high strangeness factor of this whole uh, phenomenon. But that this thing would be looking through the window, okay, I, I don't necessarily really buy it. And now there's a piece of footage that has shown up on YouTube that, as I said, purports to be the real video. And one of the things that, as someone who's worked in the special effects industry and has done special effects, one of the things that occurred to me was that, yeah, this doesn't look like it was something manipulated in post. It looks like, looks like it was done in camera. So in the world of visual effects, you have post-production where you take footage and you manipulate it, add things to it, take things away from it as a post-process. Or you have what are called practical effects. And practical effects are things that you shoot live. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, the complete dossier. Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your web page? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I can. Host I can. And as a matter of fact, they provide all our hosting, too, for this site. And guess what? Their price starts at only $7 a month. How could you go wrong? It's reliability and speed speaks for itself. And that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Host I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. To learn more about Host I Can, go to this website, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com slash host. 
techbroadcasting.com slash host. And you'll learn more about Host I Can. And the first part of the show and the first segment of the second part of the show, we had Stan Romanek, who claims, or at least it's claimed on his website, that he is one of the most authenticated contactees on the planet or something like that. But it looks like the people surrounding him may be doing damage to his reputation, assuming that he's being manipulated unawares. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. Right now, we're talking about the processes of creating special effects in movies. One, of course, is post-production. After you shoot everything, then you cut in or add the stuff, or you do it as you shoot it. Go ahead, David. Right. Well, the bottom line is that I don't feel comfortable making de you know definitive statements about Stan's evidence and that I haven't seen it yet. No one's really seen it yet, except for some group of people called together in Colorado to see some kind of a press conference that really apparently wasn't so much about Stan stuff as it was about Pexman's initiative to get disclosure. The D and, word. And, and the D word, yeah, oh. to get disclosure out there. And, to, and I guess, again, this is something I'll have to bring up on my screen in front of me, but um, Jeff apparently in Colorado is pushing for some kind of a bill to essentially get to create some it's a, a council a committee i want to say so apparently jeff peckman is trying to get some initiative going on in colorado to create an extraterrestrial affairs commission and uh, this is a, a thing so that the 18 member et commission would quote create a responsible common sense strategy for dealing with issues related to the presence of extraterrestrial beings on Earth. Now, uh, and then the proposed initiative is, quote, a shortcut to disclosure of the knowledge of extraterrestrial beings on Earth and interacting with people on Earth. Well, obviously, Peckman should call Bassett because uh, they're both looking for the same thing. Whether or not this is even a reasonable thing to look for, um, well, you know, we've talked about it on the show, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But Peckman glommed on to Stan Romanek and uh, is trying to use Romanek as a way to drum up interest. I won't even say support for his initiative, but really to drum up interest. It is a PR play all the way, Gene. And as it turns out, as I started digging into this behind the scenes in the last week, what I discovered is that this is something that's been going on for years. Now, to get back to a meta point I was trying to get into a few minutes ago, Jerry Hoffman told me that the guy who was trying to put together the documentary about Stan Romanek's guy, this fellow by the name of Clay Roberts, he felt that I should speak to Clay to get a handle on what was going on behind the scenes. Okay. I spoke to Clay Roberts this week before we actually interviewed Stan. And it was a really interesting conversation, Gene, because the thing that, that came out is that Clay has been working on getting together not so much the documentary, but funding for the documentary. So my understanding is, and I could be wrong about this, so I'll qualify this. They're working on a documentary, except there's no documentary in the works yet, because they're trying to get funding. And... <laughs> This whole thing about drumming up public interest is to drum up potential investors. Is that why we had this press conference, alleged press conference, and all this other stuff? Was it all just to get some money? Well, uh, you see, this is where it gets a little murky because Peckman was, was 
the primary, from what I gather, the primary person pushing for this uh, press conference to get exposure for his initiative. Uh, but Clay Roberts is someone who is trying to get funding. I don't want to go ahead and create a connection between Clay Roberts' desire to rustle up funding to do a documentary and this whole uh, press conference they had. I, I won't go that far because when I spoke to Clay Roberts, he tried to play down the whole Peckman connection, which I thought was already weird. Now, this is all getting so confusing and involved. Oh, yeah. I think we all, ladies and gentlemen, take out a notepad, yeah, start to do the text edit chart. on your Mac or the Windows notepad, and start writing down this. Now, of course, if you're listening to the podcast version, you can just replay this. You'll have to do it about 20 times to get all this straight. I don't know if I've got straight or not. Wait, but it gets I'm worse. Oh, boy. It gets worse, Gene. Oh, please. And, and this, is the, the, this is the nightmare behind this whole thing in that I've come to believe that what's going to happen here is this is all going to implode on them. Because what went down in this conversation with Clay Roberts is him telling me, you know, we're, we're trying to tie up all the scientific research behind this so that when we present this information to the public, it, it, that it's basically one coherent whole. And I'm not sure if he's talking about W-H-O-L-E or just H-O-L-E. Well, the problem with sure. that is scientific analyses will tend to differ. Even if you do everything in a respectable, responsible fashion where you certainly have all your ducks in a row, you're going to right. get a variation of opinions. So how could you even expect consistency? Even if 20 sure. people think it's genuine, they may think it's genuine for different reasons. And some people are going to say, you know what, it's fake. I don't care what you say. So how could you get one consistent opinion? I don't see well, it. You know what? And I would agree with you 100% on that. But it turns out, here's where it gets really complicated. <sighs> uh, apparently, oh, no, this one is, and this is why I felt we should devote the time talking about it, because these are nuances you're not going to read about in the mainstream media, certainly. These are nuances you're not going to read about on any of the websites devoted to this stuff because everybody is still going gaga over whether or not the little clip of video thrown up on YouTube is genuine or not. That's really, at this point, completely irrelevant because what we need to do is look at motivations for the people involved in this. So apparently Nancy Talbot and her group had gotten involved in this whole situation years ago, back in like 2003, maybe even before that. And... Nancy apparently had some kind of a deal with Romanek and with this Clay Roberts cat. I used cat there. I know somebody uh, on the forum said something along the lines of, why does David use the term cat? What is he, you know, like some 50s uh, bebop guy? And, yeah, hey, baby. you know what? Yeah, baby. I just use it because it feels right. You know, it doesn't really matter. I don't use bro. I use cat. The guy's a cat. Anyway, so... That's <laughs> fine. So what happened I was... A, I have a cat with a sore throat. Forget it. Aw, key. Here's a little treat. Give the cat some cat food. I mean, some tuna fish. And not in the water. you got to give them to them in the oil because the oil is what's good for their coat. Anyway. Actually, my wife's allergic to cats. Please continue. Well, they're those weird Egyptian cats that have, like, no hair. Okay. Okay. Forget uh, a bald cat. A bald cat. That's a good name for a band. The Bald Cats. The Bald Cat follows full throttle this week on... No. <laughs> so... Okay, let's get back to this whole Nancy Talbot connection. So Nancy essentially got involved with this a number of years ago, had a bunch of evidence because Stan talks about, well, he didn't really talk about it on our show, but I gather from my behind-the-scenes conversations that at some point Stan woke up with some material on him that was some weird powder that they wanted to have analyzed, and 
then there's you know the, the the still images and the video clips and I don't know that Jerry Hoffman nice guy I don't think he's qualified to analyze the, the footage or the stills I don't think he has the expertise to do it that's just my opinion so Nancy apparently had gathered some of this material had Stan Sender some of the stuff and had the scientist that she works with BLT research uh, doing some analysis on this stuff and what Nancy told me was that. Like what Clay Roberts told me, she really wanted Stan to keep this under wraps so that they could get all their ducks in in order because she says that the scientists that are working on all this, that when they come forward with their findings, that essentially they're putting their reputations on the line, which I thought was interesting if they've already worked with Nancy on the stuff that BLT does about crop circles. seems to me you put your names on that stuff, you're already out on a limb. It's just my opinion. But I won't ask you to explain that because things are getting so convoluted already. It would just add another element. No, no, no. Yeah, let's not go there. But but what ended up happening was, from what Nancy told me, Stan about a year ago started coming out publicly with descriptions of some of what he had seen and what he had experienced. He told us about some big talk he did, I guess, last year or something. And this went against the agreement that Stan supposedly had with Nancy and her scientists. So Nancy got upset about this, what she told me on the phone, and so she pulled away from the situation. She essentially pulled out of this whole Stan Romanek research situation because she was unhappy with how Stan had handled it, and that's what she told me. And uh, I asked her, so does that mean that the scientists pulled out as well? She said, well, no, they didn't pull out when I pulled out, but after I became disassociated from it, that they essentially decided they didn't want to be involved with it either. Okay, just fast question here. Is Nancy tied in with this NDA? Is she prevented from talking about it? Well, I don't know. She told me this stuff. I assume she was telling me because she wasn't under NDA because it turns out that the NDAs are with with this guy, Clay Roberts. I'm going to get back to that in a minute. But apparently he's the one that's holding the nondisclosure agreements. Whether Nancy was under NDA to him, I don't know. But I know that what Nancy told me was that about a year ago or so, she pulled away from this. She was not happy with how Stan was dealing with coming out with little bits and pieces publicly. And then right after she pulled away from it, the scientist that she was working with also pulled away. So presumably, whatever scientists Stan's talking about, and this guy Clay told me about, and Jerry Hoffman told me about, the video analyst guy, presumably those are different scientists than the one that than the ones that Nancy was working with. Because Nancy says that those guys are no longer involved. And here's where it gets really interesting. Nancy said to me, well, you know, we'd be happy to be involved with this situation. I think something genuine is going on with Stan. But scientific research is expensive. And unless they're forthcoming with funds, we can't continue doing our research work. So, you know, Gene, I asked her what any good investigative journalist would ask her. I said, well, what kind of money are we talking about here, Nancy? And she said, well, you know, to do the rest of our research, we need about $20,000. Okay. That's not really a lot of money. No, okay, but it's a nice yeah, I, I, I can't write a check for 20000 for her. Me neither. It would Me bounce either. higher than any of the balloons used to fake UFO sightings. Yeah. It would go all the way to the moon. Money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. no, to Mars. Forget about the moon. <laughs> Mars. Oh, man. So, all right. And at that point, I said, well, then what are the money of age? Is this the money they're trying to raise to pay you? She said, no, as far as she knew, they were trying to raise money to do the documentary. So whether or not there's a documentary actually in production here or not, at this point in time, 
I can't tell because well, twenty thousand dollars for documentary is no, 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 not for the documentary to finish her scientist research uh-huh. work. Okay, and then Thanks she for said, so, "So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That twenty grand would go for her scientists to come up with their final findings on stuff. Mm-hmm. Then there's some chunk of money that Clay needs to raise in order to do the documentary. Now, I didn't ask Clay when I spoke to him." whether or not this documentary is currently in progress. Look, as far as documentaries go, yeah, I know you need some money to do them, but how much do you really need to do them, especially if you're sitting around doing nothing? I mean, if we look to at how Frank Longo put together the documentary about Dorothy Isaac, I wonder how much upfront money they really needed to have. They needed some amount, sure, you know, to travel to go see her, to shoot stuff. Um, if you're a documentarian, I'm guessing you already have gear. You don't have to go buy a camera. If you're a documentarian, you probably already have uh, a cameras. You probably have a computer. You probably have editing abilities. I mean, that's called Final Cut Pro, and you're done. Okay, and you get <laughs> Final Cut Pro, ladies and gentlemen, for like twelve ninety nine. But I should tell you this. Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car, a sleep timer, an alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting techbroadcasting.com slash crane. That's techbroadcasting.com slash crane to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free C-Crane catalog. Place your order today. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the podcast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. 
And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene in data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. On the PowerCast, David and I are trying to do the wrap-up, trying to kind of put together this confusing picture of the Stan Romanek case and all the weird stuff surrounding it. It looks like he's someone who's being handled right now. Yeah. Not handled, ladies and gentlemen, handled. And that is bad. Whether or not there's anything genuine to his case, once we get the handlers involved, things can really go awry. Well, and we keep coming back to this Clay Roberts guy. Now, when I spoke to Clay earlier this week, uh, Gene, he I mean, he started off with me first. I, I, when I called him, I said, hi, I want to talk to you about the, the San Romanek case. He, he was immediately defensive. Well, who are you? What do you want? I said, well, I've got this radio show I, I co-host, and it's called The Paracast, and we're looking to have Stan on. And I was told by a couple of people I should speak with you about this, so I want to you know, just run this by you, trying to do the right thing, essentially. But um, then he switched gears and wanted to tell me about how he felt Stan's case was really incredibly interesting and how he wanted to, you know, tell the world about it. But he needed money to do this. And so he's trying to put together money for this situation, finding it to be very difficult. And the conversation kind of went in a direction where he wanted to know more about who I was. And so I laid out some of my background to him. And then he starts saying, well, gee... You're the kind of person we'd love to have look at the stuff as well because uh, we need every good eye we can get on this material. And I said, well, I'd be certainly out of personal curiosity willing to do it, but i got to tell you, Clay, there's no way you're going to get me to sign an NDA the way you've gotten other people to, to do this. You're not tying my hands. And that's when he went wacky on me. He was just like, what? You want to go sign an NDA? Well, I'm not going to show you a damn thing. What do you think? I'm an idiot? And I said, well, huh. What do you think? I'm an idiot? You think I'm going to sign an NDA, look at your stuff, and then if I have issues with it, if I think that you're trying to pull the wool over someone's or everyone's eyes, that I'm then not going to be allowed to speak my mind about this? I said, there's not a chance you're doing this to me. You're not doing this to me. No way. And he's like, well, then I'm not showing you anything. And I said, well, that's nice. Have a nice day. And I have the phone on him. I was like, okay, we're finished. We're done. Now, this happened not 20 minutes before we were supposed to get on the phone with Stan. Now, that, by the way, we barely got this show going. There was uh-huh. a lot of back and forth before this show actually got going, and we got the hour and 10 minutes of Stan Romanek, really. Right, right. And, and a big part of that, when, when I hung up on Clay Roberts, I thought to myself, I think I called you or emailed you, and I said, uh, Stan might not show up for the interview tonight. No, you called me, and I think you emailed both. Yeah, I think I did both. And I said to you, you know what? We might not be talking to Stan Romanek tonight. I got a funny feeling he's going to bail out. Because I kind of had this image in my mind of this Clay Roberts guy calling up Stan and going, there's not a chance you're going on that show. Don't go on that show. You know, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Don't go on the show. So within minutes... We get an email. I got an email from Stan going, oh, uh, I haven't heard back from you. We'd already confirmed the time. We'd already confirmed the interview. He sent us an email going, well, uh, uh, I thought I was going to hear back from you. I haven't heard back from you. So I've gone ahead and scheduled myself in for another show. And I thought, damn, I really know what's going on here. Well, I called it. And then I, I called you up, and I think I said, hey, Jane, call this guy up. Call Romanek up. Here's his phone number. See if you can make something happen with this. Because at this point, 
I was getting really frustrated. Anyway, the way we worked it out, Stan finally decided that, yes, he was going to come on our show, but now there was going to be a question because he had to go catch some plane, and maybe he couldn't spend as much time as he wanted. My God, if we're going to try to discuss this stuff in any kind of a rational, objective way, we got to pull all of these middlemen out. And we got to stop the ego posturing, which is oh, just yeah. disgusting. Well, I mean, look, some people will accuse us of ego posturing, but the bottom line is that, and, I, and that, well, let me, let, let's rewind here for a moment because we do the interview with Stan. Then I got on the phone with Nancy Talbot that evening, and we had a long talk about this. And she basically said she would not come on the Paracast to talk about this case because she was not involved with this case. Kind of interesting. She seems to be talking to Stan quite a bit. So I'm not sure what that's all about. I mean, moments after Stan was off the show with us, he was on the phone with Nancy. So there's that. And we like Nancy. Actually, it's funny. Nancy did not remember she had been on the Paracast early on. I'm going to tell you that right now, Gene. She did not remember this. And I said, hey, yeah, you know, well, maybe I should come on your show. And I was like, Nancy, you've been on our show. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, you've been on a lot of shows, but I like to think we're unique. But then, Gene, and this is what just killed me, the next day, who calls me up but Clay Roberts? I get a call the next day from Clay. I was not expecting this call, Gene. Clay's like, David, it's, 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 it's Clay Roberts. Hi, Clay, what's going on? Well, I feel we left off the wrong way yesterday. We, we left off on the wrong foot. I want to be sorry, and I want to apologize to you because I, I think I was a little uh, abrupt in dealing with you. And I said, look, um, at this point, if Stan, I'll I said, Clay, I'll tell you this. If Stan's going through something legitimately paranormal, we'd like to know. If it's something newsworthy, if it's something genuine, we will be happy to spend quite a bit of time talking about it on our show. If he can come up with compelling evidence, corroborated testimonial from people who saw these things along with him, scientific reports. I said, if you can come up with all of this stuff, Clay, we will go to an extreme to talk about, publicize, and get some rational discussion around Stan's experiences. I said, and you can count on that. But, on the other hand, if we find out that this is a sham, if we find out that you're trying to raise money to do a documentary that's going to promote something that's fabricated, we will unleash the hounds of hell on you. I said, because we're trying to foster... <sighs> Most of the time, we're trying to foster serious discussions about this stuff. And what you're doing here is you are throwing a bunch of stuff out there that is creating chaos and confusion. And we don't necessarily appreciate that. And I think Stan mentioned on our show an issue of him being under contract to Clay. Like, what the hell is that? You know, I mean, ultimately, Gene, I got to wonder about this whole situation because, again... Stan might legitimately have things happening to him. But then why do you put the control about talking about this in some third-party person's hands? That, Gene, something is really screwy with that. Well, either he is gullible or he did it deliberately for whatever ends. The point is here, is he the victim or is he the person pulling the strings behind the scenes? I don't know. I don't know, and I don't think there's any way we're going to know until... 
we see his evidence. So, I mean, what are we talking about here? If this guy, Clay Roberts, can't raise funding somehow to make a documentary that we're never going to see this evidence? Is that what we're talking about? Well, I, I would be curious to find out whether this NDA is something that's ironclad. It should be vetted because if this is something that can be broken in a legitimate way without serious legal consequences, then I would think that it would be something that we can talk about on the air. Right. Well, so at this point, this guy Clay Roberts tried to make nice with me. Now, why he tried to make my, nice with me, Gene, I don't know. I can think of the fact that he did because he knows Stan Romanek's got on the show and that he's aware that we're going to have something to say about it, and he's hoping to spin everything in his favor. Well, so that might just be spin control, yeah, nothing else. It, mm -hmm. it could very well be, I'm guessing this guy Jerry Hoffman spoke to him about my discussion with him earlier in the week. Who knows, maybe Nancy Talbot called him as well. One of the things that Clay Roberts did say to me, and hey, Clay, I'm not under NDA with you, so if you don't like what I'm saying, too bad. One of the things he did say to me was that he needs Nancy Talbot and her scientists. He needs her in order to move forward. So who knows what's going to happen there, whether he's going to make nice with her. Because he said to me, I need her. Those are his exact words. Well, that's another question, too. If he doesn't have her, aren't there other scientists that he can get a hold of? I mean, you look at all the UFO organizations, MUFON has scientists. All A lot of these major UFO bodies have scientists working with them that... Well, Jesus Christ, man. Honest, sure. Listen, if you have something like this going on that's really legitimate, I mean, I would call Bruce McAbee up or whoever is in charge of the UFO Research Fund. Maybe it's, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name, either Dick Haynes or Dick Hall. One of the guys involved with the UFO Research Fund, I'd ask them for some money to finish off this documentary. If it's, if it's Again, if it's a legitimate case, if they can get real hard science behind this, then I'm thinking maybe there is a way to get some money. And these guys, you know, maybe these guys just aren't savvy enough. I don't know. I would call the UFO Research Fund that Bruce McAbee used to be one of the uh, keepers of. Certainly I would call Bruce and say, who do we speak to about getting some money to finish this thing up when it's going to be able to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt the legitimacy of this major case, supposedly this major case? I don't know, Gene. And I'll say this, because this is a rap segment about the Stan Romanek thing. He's a nice guy, this Romanek character. But do I necessarily believe in what he's saying? Uh, you know, he talked about getting beaten up by these guys in a black van. Uh, I have a little bit of a problem well, with that. Well, it might be like Jim Sparks, where he seems like a nice guy, but he, he gets all these elements, all these various elements of the uh, typical UFO paranormal <laughs> and paranoid encounters. He puts in everything in a little blender, and out comes a story. Wait a minute. Now I have to read something else now. Okay. Because there, there was a really fun little bit about Jim Sparks in the last week's Strange. You, you should bring him up. There was this really fun thing I saw online that, for me, pretty much finishes off Jim Sparks completely. It finishes him off. Sparks, if you're listening to this, you, sir are full of crap. You're toast. And why do I say this? Because on his website, there's a new thing. Get ready. Yes. New. Talk to Jim. Individual consultations for people with ET-abduction-slash-contact experiences. 
based on the overwhelming number of requests for Jim's feedback on people's personal abduction slash ET contact experiences. I know what's going on. Jim now offers consultations via telephone, email, or Skype chat in the form of question and answer sessions. This is the biggest load of crap that I've ever seen for, get this, buddy, a hundred bucks an hour he wants. I am in the wrong business. Yeah, you and me both, Gene. A hundred bucks an hour to talk to him. Yes, these consultations are designed to assist individuals who are deeply affected by their experiences and who are left with many open questions regarding the implications of the phenomena for their own life for lack of a frame of reference. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that just sums it up. That wraps it up. As That's far as Jim Sparks we're is done concerned. with Jim Sparks. Now he's, he's now we, doing. First, we got to figure out what we're going to do with Stan Romanek, and we only have a few seconds on this week's episode. Yeah. So all we can say is everything is under consideration. We haven't made a final decision. We're not dismissing the authenticity no. of his claims or lack thereof. But we but we're going to go on record here and say that if Stan allows himself to be manipulated and controlled and filtered by all of these people who are surrounding him at the moment. If they're going to tie his hands, if they're going to taint his information, his data, then his case is going to sink into obscurity. You heard it from us first on the Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.